African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Hey, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. This is Channel Africa, where you get the African perspective. You're with me, Benjamin Mushatama, on the uh, frequency on our DSTV bouquet channel. We're on 802. Uh, that's, our audio, uh, that's our audio bouquet channel there. And if you're listening to us uh, on our website, we're on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. Thank you for joining us for a new week of African Dialogue, where we contextualize the big issues of the continent. Well, once again, it's that season in South Africa when the crime statistics uh, come out in South Africa. And it seems like the trends are changing slightly, but there's not a lot of improvements in some areas. So there was a mixed bag of some decreases and increases. But overall, it's not a good uh, picture when we look at uh, the crime statistics in South Africa. The South African Police Service and uh, Stats South Africa released the 2018 and 2019 crime stats, which indicate, this is worrying, that murder, violent crimes and sexual offences have increased significantly in the past year. Uh, the statistics cover 21 crime categories, 17 of those categories are reported by the public and four are as a result of police activity. Over 2 million crimes were recorded uh, between 2018 and 2019. 2019. In 2019, though, contact crimes, which include murder, attempted murder, and sexual offenses, common assaults, and robbery, increased by 2.6%. That's 2.6%. Well, to help us in this particular subject matter, we've got Nontlantla Sibanda, who was with us on a Friday, was being featured in our program, but she's going to elaborate especially on these crime statistics. She's a gender specialist with the Center for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation. We also have on our Dr. Krista Koch, who's an independent crime analyst at Crime Facts South Africa. I'm going to see if we can break this down. Let me start with you, Nontantla. Thank you for giving us your time. Thank you, and happy to be here. Okay, fantastic. Now, according to the 2018 and 2019 crime statistics, as I mentioned, it seems like there's a mixed bag. But when you look at overall at the number of crimes is that we have a total of uh, 2.01 million crimes which are recorded from the 1st of April 2018 to the 30th of March 2019 which shows that the problem of crime in this country is becoming more of a chronic issue more than anything else. I agree with you and I think it's very concerning. Mm. it's it's really concerning that the levels of crime seem to be going up um in almost every area or category that um um that was looked at through the crime statistics and particularly for us as an organization the center for the study of violence and reconciliation um we we were 
partic- were particularly concerned around the, the 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 increases in sexual offences, for example, where there has been a four four point six percent increase, and not just that. I mean that number is still alarming because we're talking about at least fifty thousand rapes taking place. Um, every year, that's I think that accounts to about 164 per day, more or less, and that's still a lot. But I think what we are more concerned about is around those crimes and those cases that are not reported. And I think that's what we should be worried about because we know that there's very high levels of underreporting when it comes to crimes that relate to women or violence against women in particular, and. My question and the concern is around if they are not, if women are not reporting through formal justice mechanisms, then where are they reporting? And how do we get to to, to monitor and find out what is happening around those cases? So it's great to have the crime statistics, but also I think a much bigger problem that we're not looking at is the high levels of underreporting, particularly in relation to uh, crimes against women or violence against women. Mm. Let me come to you, uh, Dr. Krista Cook. Thank you for giving us your time. Uh, I must say the line was very bad. Maybe now it will be better. Okay, I apologize for that. We've been having I, I, some... I couldn't hear the question and I basically couldn't hear the answer. Am I clear enough for you now? Can you hear me from your yeah, side? Yeah, very clear now. Now it's very clear. Okay, fantastic. Now, look. You know, what was highlighted there by Nontlantla was the fact that uh, they're still under-reporting as much as we're seeing this huge number of 2.01 million crimes that were recorded from 2018 to um, 2019. She's still highlighting the fact that there's a lot of under-reporting that is still happening. So that's also alarming, the fact that we still have this large number, but this could also show some form of under-reporting in that instance, uh, Dr. Lecoq. Yeah, no, I will agree with her there that especially on certain crimes, you have a lot of under-reporting, if I can mention them, uh, sexual offences, all sexual mm. offences and especially rape, and especially rape and sexual offences within the intimate circle, mm. uh, there the under-reporting is, is very high. Uh, if we look at the victim surveys of uh, State South Africa, but also other surveys. And then also when it comes to um, certain of the property crimes, I mean, people just don't report all housebreakings, all, especially housebreakings, because that's a very numerous uh, crime. But uh, if we look at the murder, Mm. I mean, there I must say, and that's why internationally murder is such an indicator of stability. It's used as an indicator of stability right through the world. Because in murder, you it's very difficult for underreporting to occur. Mm-hmm. In uh, murder, with to put it bluntly, there's a body. So uh, the murder is the most trustworthy, the most reliable figure mm-hmm. that we can speak mm-hmm. of. And what is shocking is the increase in that crime, but mm-hmm. not only the increase, but also the explanation of the police and government for that crime. What is the explanation that we're getting? Well, the explanation that we get, and even from some of my colleagues from NGOs and so forth, is that we we are besotted with a myth, and that myth is that all our murders are social in nature. 
that it occur between people knowing each other, who are acquainted to each other, they have too much to drink, and they then kill each other. Now, it's true to a certain extent. It is true up to 50%. But there's 50% of our murders which does not come from that background. There's 50% of our murders which are occurring during a robbery. The reaction against these murders by vigilantism, gangsterism, Mm -hmm. uh, taxi violence, and a whole range of other violence, other 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 motives and those are policeable that can be controlled by the police it actually did happen uh, in the late um, in, in, in around about from 2003 4 to up to 11 12 2011 12 murder was reduced by uh, by addressing those categories Hmm. Now, let's look at staying with you, Dr. Krista Koch, in terms of just looking at this high number of, of crime um, overall. It, it's worrying because it's becoming something that is almost becoming a culture or something that we're going to be known for as South Africa because it seems like we're not changing the tide or we don't even know where to start. Can we pin down why we're such a crime-ridden country? Can we identify where the problems are? Because we can look at these statistics and, and break them down. But overall, we know that we have a problem. But do we know where the problem centered around? Is it because we're an unequal society, as some people allude to? Is it the fact of unemployment, as some people say? Is it just because we've become very numb to crime in itself? Well... If we look, I mean, the, the roots of all crime in South Africa goes historically back to uh, unequal society. But, uh, and, 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 and I mean, governments are trying to create more equity and more, and more equality. And, but that is a very long-term process. Mm-hmm. I mean, so the root is socioeconomic. Much, much of our violence and much of our crime comes from uh, the whole socioeconomic situation. But that is going to take some time to, 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 to create more equity and those kind of conditions. And also in, that, in better socioeconomic conditions, people will change their lifestyle. So violence won't be the only means that they got to, to do something, to get mm-hmm. what they want. Mm-hmm. But let me say, in the meantime, while we are working on that, while government is working on that, we have to address one very important issue, and that is the efficiency of the South African police service mm. or all police services mm. in South Africa. Because if the community believes, and that is unfortunately now the situation, that when you are robbed and you are killed, or even not killed, the mm. police will do nothing. They will not do anything to those who have who have robbed you or in your house in the street wherever mm-hmm. then they will take the law into their own hands and even commit more violence mm-hmm. okay let me so, come back so we we, we sure. are in a very difficult and mm-hmm. very serious situation if we look around us if we look at, at gangsterism we look at, at, at taxi violence robbery mm-hmm. and 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 the reaction on that because the community is increasingly saying, well, the police, we can't trust them. We will do our own thing. Mm. 
Nandlandla, what are your thoughts around the root causes? I know that this is something that we need to start pinning down. And um, Dr. Krista Gok um, agrees with one pointer that I brought forward, the socioeconomic conditions, the inequalities in uh, our society. And, and I agree with him. I think we are a society in poverty, basically. Um, black people, in particular, have not quite realized the opportunities that we thought the end of apartheid would come with. Mm. And also, we we have, I think, in trying to get that message across to government and to policy makers, I think people in general, society and communities have felt, feel like they're not being heard and they're not being listened to. And in that case, then they then resort to whatever means possible just to be heard. We end up resorting to violent means because it is only when 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 communities bend tires, it is when communities get violent that policymakers come to the table. I mean, the, the recent um, marches and protests by women in, in, in relation to violence against women speak to this because we've had the president saying we are in crisis when it comes to violence against women. But what is being done? I think it's one thing to acknowledge, but what, what communities and women are looking for are tangible solutions to deal with the issues. And I think we have not... Um, come up or defined efficient conflict resolution mechanisms. Hence, we end up using violence and crime as a language mm -hmm. because we, we, we simply feel like people feel like they are not being heard. Mm. And that exacerbates the situation, doesn't it, Nontlantla? But also to that point of where do people go that you've you've assessed when you started the conversation, the fact that people don't find the, the structures that are there that are supposed to be responsible for their security, for justice, are actually responding to them adequately. Mm. Therefore, they kind of take the law into their own hands, as was alluded to by uh, Dr. Krista Kork, and you say that exacerbates the violent environment that we find ourselves in. So where do we start? Because here we are, we have a police system that we cannot trust. We have mm. a society that also can't find another way out except through the violence that it also is trying to escape in its own self. So where do people, where do women go to if they don't go to the police or mm. the criminal justice system because they do not trust it? We know that the first point of call usually would be fam a family member, a friend, mm. religious institutions, um, yeah, whatever informal systems, social systems they have at hand. That's where women would go to report. Th those are usually the first line of reporting. And I think in our interventions and in trying to resolve those issues, we need to work together with those structures. We need to work together with traditional authorities, religious leaders, families. A lot of women would trust, for example, to go to a pastor. But isn't that also a problem sometimes? Let me just stop 
sorry to stop you there, Natalia, because sometimes we find that sometimes it's those institutions that you've highlighted that sometimes entrench the violence. Absolutely. Sometimes they're the ones that validate um, the culture of violence in our society and, and enablers, whether it's culture, whether it's religion. Mm. You know, women might, must be subservient in some religions. Or, that's also a problematic space even f for women themselves. It is. Mm. I mean, they are very problematic mm. and very fundamentally um, stuck yes. <laughs> in, in, in terms of how to respond mm. so I'm saying that it is important that we work together with these institutions because mm -hmm. unfortunately or fortunately women these are the institutions that women end up going to in mm. the in the absence of f uh, formal justice mechanisms that work mm. for them mm. so they end up going to families they end up going to these religious institutions that silence them further mm. traditional authorities that also silence them mm -hmm. further so we need to work together with them and come to a point of mm -hmm. understanding and, and and sharing in terms of what it means when a woman comes and um, reports that they've been raped helping them to understand that the first point of call is to believe Mm -hmm. Because that's often the challenge. They're often questioned, why Why were you wearing this? Why mm -hmm. did you do this particular mm -hmm. thing? Why mm -hmm. did you travel at night as a mm -hmm. woman on your mm -hmm. own? So we need to debunk some of the stereotypes, some of those um, negative gender norms that are within these institutions. Because society is made up of both informal and formal justice systems. So while on the other hand, mm -hmm. we are working towards making our criminal justice system as effective as it should be mm. i also think it's it's equally as important to be working around this informal justice systems mm. we did a research in 2017 mm. and a, a, a woman said to us uh, challenged us to say mm. a lot of times you women's rights organizations come to us and you encourage us to to speak out you start all of this campaign saying mm. that we should speak out but do you ever think about what the opportunity cost of speaking out is for mm. me okay. when I have I still have to go back sure. to the same person when mm. I still have to go back to the same community when the nearest uh, police station is five, ten mm -hmm. kilometers away. So the sure. reality is these institutions are there. These informal institutions are the ones that are available for women. So we need to find ways of working All with right. them and through that. Let me take a break and then when we come back we'll speak about that, Dr. Krista Cocker, in terms of police trust and also uh, their uh, interventions in communities because I was listening to the police commissioner speaking to the SABC, I think it was morning live or something like that, and he was talking to the fact that because of the growing South African population, um, the staff within the South African police service uh, don't have actually the capacity to deal with that overall population. Uh, that was a bizarre response because I don't think the entire population is is full of criminals so, and we know where the hot spots are. We know where the areas of problems are. We know which crimes are, are serious. So, I, I wanted to get your thoughts there, Doctor Dekok, in terms of yeah. that response and what it means. But let me take a quick break, and I, I'll get that answer from you.
Building Africa with love. Hujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts. And if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. Hey, we're looking at the sad news of South Africa. Seems like there's a lot of sad news coming from South Africa these days. It's difficult to be a South African as I am one talking about these particular issues. But we have to be honest and have the real stories of ourselves that define us and how we can actually change these environments that we find ourselves in. And today we're speaking about the crime statistics in South Africa, um, which indicate that murder, violent crimes and sexual offenses have increased significantly significantly in the past year what is worrying is the fact that there are over two million crimes that have been recorded from uh, three months into 2018 into april 2019 two million two million crimes just that statistic in itself is just mind-boggling but dr krista cock before i went to the break i wanted to get an idea from you in terms of that you know kind of the response and the interventions by our policing systems are they, are they good enough are we seeing the presence of police in our communities or is the reality that our uh, population dynamics are growing and that's actually making it more challenging for the SAPS look population dynamics and the growth of population always is a challenge to any police service in the world but I don't agree if the National Commission has said that in that program recently or, or even the minister I don't agree with this idea that because the population growth uh, is there, the police are ineffective because their numbers are too low. I think even with the police that we have at present, the operational police that we have at present, if they were much smarter, they would have had a much bigger success. And we wouldn't have seen these levels of crime, and at least we wouldn't have seen these increases. In crime, I mean, in in I again want to refer back, and the minister constantly referred back to that during the release of the crime statistics. Mm, mm. The period 2003-4 down to the to to around the World Cup 9-10-11. I mean, especially in those two years, there were dramatic drops in many, many, many crimes. Now, is it because of those particular... Why, why, why were they being mm. successful? I can okay. tell you some, sure, some of ahead. the things. First one, they were intelligence, uh, police actions were intelligence-based. Everything was information-driven. You have the hotspots, you have the peak times, you have the modus operandi, you have got all of those things. And you use it in your everyday policing at the station level. And you will have success, as we had success in those years. Also, people were kept, station commanders or station commissioners, as they called them, were kept responsible for crime in their area. So they had to use all of this information and they had to use even the limited resources which they had those days. They also had the limited resources in terms of people and vehicles and other stuff. 
but they were kept responsible and they had to explain where there were significant increases. What went wrong? What is the reasons for that? So they constantly had to look at their crime, explain their crime to themselves, mm-hmm. analyze their crime because they've got the capacity at station level, and then fight the crime as effectively as possible. Mm. But these days, I just get the idea that we, we that the police give us simple and explanations for why there's crime, and they can do nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Now let's and, look. And that is not true. Let's look at why that modus operandi changed of the police, um, um, Doctor De Kock, because you would think, okay, they'd found kind of a, a system or kind of an idea of how to navigate themselves in the whole in their own policing during those particular periods, especially the fact that you cited the World Cup as an example. Why did we stop that kind of operation? Well, because leadership, Jack. You see, leadership change. You had very effective leadership under the late uh, Commissioner Salebi, and you had very effective leadership under the leadership of the current minister, Minister Sale, when he was the National Commissioner. You had leadership which kept the, the inchalons be, be below them, uh, always on their toes, and always want the explanation for if crime is not going in the right direction. Because that's what policing is about. That's the essence of policing. Mm. And there were targets. There were, maybe, some of my colleagues will argue argue it was uh, targets which was too high, and then people started to juggle the figures, Mm. and all of those arguments. But they were targets. They were targets in the time of of, of, uh, Commissioner Salebi, under the then President um, Becky, there were targets of a 7 to 10% reduction in contact crime, in violent crime. Mm-hmm. Now, people might say that's unrealistic. They've never actually achieved those targets. But, you know, if you strive towards a target, at least you will reach half of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is so frustrating to have this conversation, isn't it, Nantlantla? Because it seems like on all levels we, we, we're getting it wrong. And actually you know I'm, I'm kind of having this conversation in my own head wanting to ask you that conversation once again where do we go where do we start once again but i don't want to ask you that particular question should we also change our idea around what violence and what crime is should we change also the narrations around it in our country do you think we've become a bit accepting of it as as a population i don't know if if that's that, that's a problem if there's a, a psychology around crime in terms of how we as citizens because we're also the criminals the citizens themselves we can't just leave it to the police we're also a crime a criminal society we're a violent society so should we blame ourselves as a society and start taking a little bit of ownership in this violence and this crimes and stop othering it maybe that's what we do too often is it it's that family that's going through this it's that neighbor that's going through this oh it's that person's child who's going there. until you experience it it's if, if it's your own son who's the, the the criminal and is bringing something into the house to make ends meet and you don't talk as a parent that's where all these things start maybe from our family structures so violence has become a a culture. I did mention this before. 
and it's become so normalized and become so much a part of our everyday life to the extent that even the high crime statistics no longer shock us. And, and that's a problem. I mean, it, it, it definitely speaks to the psyche of society and, and where we're coming from. And, and, the, and I would imagine the deep-seated wounds that all of us are sitting with because of, of where we're coming from historically as a country and not having healed from those and trying to find ways to survive nonetheless, despite the wounding, despite um, the pain that, that we feel and we're just expected to close and, and, and be a rainbow nation, so to speak. Um, but I, I wanted to, to make a comment around uh, the issue of when you spoke about the number of the police versus the growing population. I think that is neither here nor there. I mean, especially, it, it just sounds like an excuse and a justification. Because how then does that account for the negative police attitudes when you go to the police station? How does that account for the secondary victimization that um, we face when we go to police station? How does that account for uh, the poor investigation by the police? Um, to ensure and secure convictions. And, and perhaps the question we should be asking is where and when have they been, has the police been effective? Like are there, are there examples of good practices where the population versus the, 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 the number of police, where we've seen the police being effective? And I just heard earlier this morning that the Community Policing Forum in, in Cape Town has now just requested that the 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 army the the, the deployment of the army be extended for another for another 6 months or so and for me the question i was asking myself is is the police admitting is this an admission of the failure of the police to police because it is not the role of the army to be policing it's it's not it is the police should that's that's the work and the role of 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 the police but they're not doing that and now we're hearing that they want to extend and one one and i think what we should be asking is what uh, difference has um having the army in the cap in the cap flats made mm. thus far for us to see that this collaboration between the police and the army seems to be working in terms of um, catering um, sure. uh, gangsterism in the cap yeah. flats. Yeah. Well, the, the very interesting thoughts there. Uh, from from your perspective, uh, Dr. Krista Cock, I want to come back to, to that point that I made around us as a society because we are violent. So now when I hear people saying men are abusive in South Africa. I don't other it. I actually call myself abusive. I think I have that potential of being an abusive man in this particular society because I'm in it. So I kind of, I don't other it. I take responsibility that one day it could be me. So I have to be on the lookout for myself. So I'm, I could be a criminal. I'm black. I'm in my thirties. I could run out of a job any day and I could, 
you know, I always think of myself as kind of a byproduct of this environment, even if I haven't been a criminal yet. I always think there's a possibility of it. Are we as South Africans taking responsibility of the fact that we do have kind of a proneness to violence, a proneness to to become criminals? I know that we're not all going to be criminals, but I think also the fact that we other uh, crime and we make it someone else's project or make it someone else's problem because it's in the townships or something like mm. that which is not true as well um, that's where I think where the, the problem starts isn't it Dr. Dekok well let me say you know and I think this is a sociological and a psychological fact sure. when you feel absolutely frustrated when you feel something was done wrong towards you and you now go to a police station and you complain and you just get no response. You, nobody is listening to you. They make as if it is nothing. Mm. It's actually normal that this should have happened to you. Your frustration goes to a level where you will very easily, everybody, every one of us will very easily use violence will take violence and say, well, nobody's mm. listening to me, so I'm going to just, a tit for tat, I'm just going to do this. I was, I was for example, hijacked two years ago. Mm. And the frustration that I had for the month, two months after that, and I mean, I'm here in a, in a middle to upper class uh, area, you know. Mm. Mm. Uh, uh, but the frustration that I had with the police were actually of such a nature that I felt that I could take the law into my own hands. Mm. And, and, and that is the problem. Everybody, wherever he lives, whatever is his status in society or her status in society. I mean, yesterday, the, on, I think it was the Sunday Times, the, 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 the main uh, report there was about a lady who, who, whose uh, six-year-old was raped. Mm. By a family member, yeah, or by somebody in a family, sure. and 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 she took this child, and it was in Kailicha, and she took this, she went to different stations. Mm. Her station is actually Arare, mm. and they sent her then to Kailicha, wow. and then from side B they sent her back to Arare, mm. and nobody was doing anything about this child. Just in this in this very same week that we are talking about this issue. And we had the crime stats released on Friday. Mm. This is actually shocking. Now, I can just think of the frustration of that lady and the aggression, the aggression which will build up in her. Mm. Okay. Now we can say, okay, sure. she must get trauma, uh, you know, trauma support. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good. But I don't think we can solve all our problems with that. Yeah. I like this conversation ma mainly because, you know, we aren't coming up with superficial solutions. I think we keep rotating around the fact that we, uh, we have to focus on these particular technical problems because it's simple. If I go to a police station, don't send me to another police station. Maybe you can log it into your system and then reference me that another police station comes for a visitation at my place. I'm just using this as an example that was highlighted by Dr. De Kock. Clearly, we've got a policing system and we also have a societal problem here. What are your final sentiments? Because I know we haven't really wrapped our heads around this particular... And I don't think we should because it is very complex, but how do we wrap up this talk? Well, 
I'll give you that um, conclusion uh, to give me that question, you know. I mean, you said earlier that we all need, it's time that we all take responsibility, whether as men, as women, as society, in, in, as a whole. I think it's about realizing that in our different ways and in the ways that we respond to crime and violence, we, we have been complicit to it and we've contributed to, enab to, to creating an, an enabling environment for crime and violence to thrive in our society. I'll just give an example of parenting, mm -hmm. the use of corporal punishment and how research has told us, or in actual fact, what are you saying when you're beating up a child? Are you not convincedly saying that um, you solve violence through violence or you solve, Progress. so this is, we solve conflict through, conflict. yes, through <laughs> violence in yeah. essence. Yeah. So I, I think I, I would just want to leave all of us with the challenge of every day thinking about how we are complicit mm. to creating this environment that we live in and not othering it. Mm. What are your thoughts there as well, Dr. Zukok, as we wrap it up? We've got two minutes left. Uh, you know, I think it, it's an important thing for us to know that we are all creators of our environment. You know, we are mm. all kind of co-laborers in the country that we find ourselves in and we can't exonerate even the responsibility as much as all the factors that we've highlighted are also pinning down the police. But we are also the creators of this violence as, as, our, as community members. Mm. Okay. I, I would say I agree with with, there, with with that view. And I think what should happen is we should first depoliticize crime. Sure, you know, so we all have different yeah. ideologies. We all have different views yeah. and so on and so on. And that's our right. But I think we should, as a community, as a society, we should say this issue of crime, we're not going to make politics out of this. Mm. Let's all stand together, take hands, and say we are not going to allow our aggression to boil over into violence, and we will tackle this problem, and we will be, mm. I think everybody must sit down and say, how can I be safer? Mm. What can mm. I do, even if I don't have money, how can I prevent that I become the victim of crime? Mm. And do that on a daily basis. Mm. And then, but I think very important, is that government, especially the Minister of Police, should also say, we're not going to make politics out of this issue. This mm -hmm. is a national issue. This is an issue about politics. Mm -hmm. And oh, that yeah. we then, okay. and that the police have to be made efficient. Sure. Okay, we have to wrap it up there. Thank you so much, Dr. Chris Cock, for giving us your time. That's an independent crime analyst at Crime Facts South Africa. Thank you for giving us your time. We've had you here on the show before, so we really appreciate you giving us your time once again. Nontlantla as well, thank you for giving us your insights and coming back into our studios. That's Nontlantla Sibando, a gender specialist with the Center for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation. Not an easy subject, not one easy subject to talk about and not an easy um, con conversation to actually find resolutions because a lot of work has to be done looking at these particular statistics. African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues.
This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything.